Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Robert, how you going, mate? Good, Mark. Very How are good. you? God, I'm, I'm so um, – I'm actually very pleased to get someone of your ilk into sitting here on the lounge with me because uh, I want to talk to you about – I mean, I'm on the board of the Roosters and, um, you know, you're our head coach of the club and you've been there for a number of years, but I've never really had a, a long, deep and meaningful conversation with you. That's what I intend to do today. I mean, I, I, I hope you don't mind. You know, we spend uh, lots of time and lots of big moments over the last sort of – what, nine years now, but it's good to dig in and sit down and have a conversation for an hour about stuff that's important. Yeah, well, I, I want to get sort of get into the weeds a little bit, sort of dig into the weeds a bit. And I think it's important. People out there in business want to listen to people like yourself who run a football club effectively, you know, a, a very successful football club, a football team, and they want to find out what your secrets are. They want to know who you are and what, you, what, what makes you up so that they may be able to take a little bit of that away and apply it to their own lives. So I, I guess the best place to start for me then is um, Trent Robinson as a young guy. Um, where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Camden, out the back of Camden, a couple of different places, Cordor. I was born into his little place out the back, sort of on a horse stud, and out to the Oaks and then into Camden, but all of it sort of centered around there and Catholic upbringing and the, the sport on the weekends and, you know, the, the usual sort of middle-class Australian sort of lifestyle. So what did you, what's your dad do and what's your mum do? So mum was a, a PE teacher. So she went through high school PE teaching, met my dad. Uh, he was from North Sydney. Uh, mum was from Riverwood. Ah, oh, Riverwood, I grew up there. Yeah. Which is around the, next, the suburb next to me. Yeah, so mum, that's where I spent the weekends going to her grandparents, lived in the same house in Riverwood. Dad was a dreamer and a, sort of an entrepreneur type, you know, so we I'd spent my time going around to the shows and to the Bonds factory out at Liverpool and, you know, all the screen printing? Yep. The, those T-shirts. Became a the, big thing back then. Yeah, and then the transfers, you know, used to have that big machine. We used to iron on the transfers yep. and peel it off. That was their business for a long, long period of time. You know, they... Lost that business and mum mum and dad split up and when I was quite young, when I was seven. And mum went back to PE teaching and swimming teaching. Uh, so she did that uh, a whole life and, and retired maybe two years ago. So were you mostly raised by your mum? Was yep. one of those share arrangements or mostly your mum? You so lived with mum and every second weekend went to dad's place. Yeah, that was that, I, because I brought one of my sons up that way. In those days you'd had every, had every second weekend. Yep. He came to my place, and then the rest of the time though he'd spend with his mum. These days, things are, it's much more equitable, and you actually sh- share the children probably half and half if you can. Yeah. Brothers and sisters. I yeah, so an older brother. Yep, Dean, and yeah, there was just the two of us. And then when you say you went to a Catholic school, um, was that St Gregory's? Yep, yep, and that's a that's a rugby league school. Yeah, so I wasn't. I I grew up playing soccer as a kid, cricket, swimming, soccer, and then I went to St Greg's, tried out. For the under 13s, I was under 12s, missed out in year seven and played soccer again. Because when, when you went to St. Greg's, there was those sort of mythical guys that, that played. They were, every, they were your world back then. The, the NRL or the, the New South Wales Rugby League back then was too far away. No, I never met any first grade players when I was growing up. But the, 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 the high school stars were the ones, you know, your Jason Taylors and those guys. So, yeah, and then I started playing in year eight. So I caught the bug and, and Daniel Anderson was my first football coach wow. who is now 
head of recruitment at the Roosters and um, coached Warriors and Parramatta and St Helens. So he was my first football coach at under 13s and my maths teacher. And because and, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I was just thinking as you said about first football coaches, those people had an influence on our lives. I mean, definitely in my life, I, that my school teachers and or my, and one of my school teachers was a football coach actually had an influence on my life, not so much in terms of sport, but just on my life uh, in terms of forming who I sort of became or some of the things I I, I currently yeah. do or believe in. Did Daniel Anderson have an influence on you? He was an amazing coach for me. So on, on a football perspective, under-13s, that's all I knew. And sometimes when you go in and I was blessed to have him as my coach, I had him in the under-13s and under-15s. And he coached in a way which was quite disciplined and progressive at the same time. You're allowed freedom of play, but then there was also disciplines that you played with. And it was a great way to play footy. And But that's all I knew. That's how I thought everybody played. The older I got, the more I understood that my groundings as far as rugby league was concerned uh, were laid by Daniel and were really strong. Like I felt like that was a real head start. Compared to other guys, but like, what was he like though? I mean, what was the interaction? Did you think he took you under his wing, so to speak, or is just what you gleaned from being being in his team of him as a coach or as and as a person? Yeah, he was he was young, so he was only mm. maybe twenty two when he yeah. was coaching us at thirteen. He was still playing at the time, but he was a uh, he was fiery, so he told it as it was, and he's always been known for that. But then he also had a a humor about him that he bought out all the time so he made us he, he he really he pushed me but then also you know my best football at school was, was under him by far and, and he he gave me a freedom to play but also was very disciplined on what he wanted out of me as far as the character in which what you play that, that were your school football introduction days what about school as, as a student? Yeah, I liked school. I loved going every day. I enjoyed a group of friends, but I also enjoyed learning. I enjoyed different subjects. And so mum pushed really hard on we had to go to university. That was her thing. It wasn't a big thing in our families. You know, didn't, not many people at all went to university in our family growing up. And that was her thing. You had to do well at school. And yeah, I enjoyed it. Was it a push thing or was more that you you enjoyed being studious? Mum put it in our head often and it wasn't like a, it wasn't a choice, it was something that we were going to do. So it wasn't as if she was pushing towards us but it was like it was a foregone conclusion that we had to do that. So therefore we had to work towards it. That's your fate? Yep. That's what you're gonna, that's your destiny? Yeah. It's already, it's already written out for you? Yep. And then so how did you do at school? Uh, pretty good. I heard you did very well at Super yep. X. Like, you, do you want to expand on that? Like, were you were you a top one of the top students? No, look, I was. Yeah, I really enjoyed school. Sort of topped uh, one of the subjects at, at school, and then also, you know, did well in others. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed learning. I loved it. the thing I liked about our school, which I think it's common in some of the schools where sport and education went hand in hand. It was cool to do well at school and. Do well at sport, yeah. And I really, I loved that environment. I thought that was really key, which I know is not always the same in all schools. I think sometimes we miss out on that fact that, yeah, that education uh, and sport go hand in hand. Well, sometimes some of the schools actually go about disassociating them. And can I ask you, just going back in that period, I guess SG Ball would have been under fifteens in those days, as opposed to under nineteens or whatever yep. it is today. So they they had it all reversed around. But were you playing rep footy? Yeah, so I played uh, New South Wales 15s, uh, but Daniel Anderson was a trainer at Parramatta at that stage. So I went and played for Parramatta in under 15s. Under 17s, Pete Mulholland was our coach. They liked him to only, we asked only to play for school, so I didn't play for school. Uh, I didn't play rep, um, rep at, that, at that time. And then I came to Roosters from school. So we didn't play any rep there and then... Uh, got signed by Roosters out of school. And who was the coach? Who was our head coach then? So that was so Artie recruited four of us from the Roosters, and uh, from uh, St Greg's, and uh, Gus had just signed up to be head coach. So that right. was at the end of '94, start of '95. Yeah, great uh, when, era for us too. Yeah, when Gus was taking out, and you could feel that change. Yeah, that 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 mid 
mid-94 when the, the change happened and Artie, I think Mark Murray got moved on and then Gus yeah. came halfway through the year. But And then that whole shift when Nick, I think, was sort of taking over. Took control. The, yeah. Of the league's club. Like all of that shifted because I remember the East that I liked but that it was sort of poor old East during the late 80s and early 90s and then to that there was a shift within six months. I think of Nick taking over and Gus coming to the the club, it just became this, you know, this club, this really strong club, and it's been that way ever since. I was going to say that they were they were two, those two things, uh, both Gus and Nick, sort of like um, a titanic shift in the way our organisation, the East Club, operated from thereafter, and I think it's probably you could go back to then as to our success now. I mean, there's lots of factors in our success now, but our success started definitely then. It needed to happen. I, I just want to go back a bit. Um, so let's say you're 18 and you you joined our club. Did you go off to university or did you go to do some more study? Did, did mum achieve her dream? I knew that I was coming to the Roosters when uh, when I was choosing university. So I ended up going to North Sydney, ACU at North Sydney. Um, was Straight Catholic University. Yep. yep. And that was uh, sports science. Uh, and then I did my degree whilst I was at the Roosters. Then uh, that's that's pretty un- rare, particularly in those days. I mean, there would have been a few people like maybe George Proponis, a few of those guys who did yeah university at the same time as playing footy. Yeah, there wasn't too many. A lot of people started, and then they'd often pull out after a year or two when when training got hard, or or they started to move up the grades. Well, they started making money. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty key as well. Yeah. So one of the other things that was really key at that time that had Ginge ended up getting me a job at Packers Gym, at Kerry's Gym at, at, um, uh, at Park, Park. Yeah, that that was that I learned as much there as I did in in the footy circles about um, coaching and and different personalities and all of that. What, what walked through that building? Oh, that would have been an interesting um, um, view of the world. Looking who walked walked into the Park Street Gym, the Hyde Park Gym, as yep. it's called in those days. It's still open too, by the way, but it's not yeah. owned by the Packers anymore, obviously. But it was a there was some interesting. I tell you a funny story about that because when I first started talking to Kerry about investing in the wizard yep. business, Kerry said to me, um, well, I don't know if I want to get involved in this business. He said, um, but I, I want you to go and talk to Bob Joss. Yep. And Bob Joss was the boss of Westpac. And Bob Joss had a, a locker in yeah. the Hyde Park gym. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah I remember and, Bob used to come yeah. in. And uh, Kerry said, you've got to go meet the bloke. Yeah. And he said, if Bob Joss thinks it's worth um, investing or I should get involved in this business, then I'm going to have a good look at it. So I had to I had to pass muster for the ball. So I had to go meet him meet him down the gym, and then I had to go meet him in his office half a dozen times. And he was an unbelievably good bloke. He was a gentleman, complete gentleman. But yep. Kerry trusted him implicitly. Bear in mind, Kerry, just prior to that, actually owned ten or eleven percent of Westpac. I don't know if there was a crossover between Bob Joss being in Kerry's gym at the same time. Hopefully not. But um, but I do remember the Kerry. At one stage, had aspirations of controlling Westpac in a big way. Yeah, right. And then, but that—that that, that was my same. So that they're the sorts of people. Those people listening, to this, they're the sorts of people who went through that gym. But there was a well. I remember Bob coming in. You know, he was, um, you know, consistent. The days that he trained, uh, came in the morning, quiet, humble man. Did yeah. his training, walked out, went to work, went to Westpac, and then you'd see on a, you know, television that night or something. You'd see him. You know, talking about banking industry or something, but that was a snapshot of lots of different people that walked through that gym at totally. different times, and then you had to deal with all these different people. And and but it was also a relaxed environment. There was a, quite a vibe there about the Hyde Park Club, and and so the way that people interacted there was uh, was unique too. It was a yeah, it was a it was a gym, but it was also a, a club, a true club yeah, with a bar and restaurant and all of that at that time. So it was amazing to to mix with all these people. It was a you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old in Sydney, a kid from Campbelltown, and being yep. thrown into the middle of that. That's that's a big awakening. That's a big change. It's sort of character building to some extent, or helps to build your character. I mean, I'm going to talk about this later, but you deal with young young men today who, at our club, for that matter, um, sort of a lot of people go through the turnstiles of our club who our young men are exposed to at the age of 18, 19, 20, yep. 21 you're probably a great person to be able to guide them through those same experiences that you had back then. But before I get on, I just want to peel back a bit. You don't realise this and I've never really told you this, but for me and a number of my colleagues, now I'm talking about at East and other places, 
um, we revere um, Trent Robinson in terms of his coaching ability, but also his intellect, etc. Like there's, there's, it's not just a legend; it's actually the truth. And uh, you know, you're a much younger man than any of us, the, mon- the ones I'm talking about. But we think your ability to think and coach is quite legendary in, in our in our lifetime, for that matter. And uh, so I, I'm trying to find out the things that influenced you in your life. So if I peel back a bit and I go back to when you're a young man and you're at Campbelltown um, at school at St Greg's and you're going to year seven and your mum and dad weren't together because, you know, you, you, you might, they split up when you were seven or eight or whatever the age was. What was your interaction? What do you think you got from your dad and what did you learn from your mum? What are the influences you got from both of them? That take it, that have taken you into, into your life today. Yeah, I've reflected on. I guess the older you get, the more that you reflect on. You, you spend most of your early years trying to reject everything about your parents and trying to be yourself. And then, the older you get, you realise that the, the you know the the the, the 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 subconscious plans that that you end up expressing a lot of traits of those people that you spent a lot of time with when you were totally. young. So. Um, Mum was extremely disciplined, so she was quite good at sport growing up. That was where the sporting bit came, and she, um, her world revolved around us boys. So she took us to different sports, and and but she was also a PE teacher, and she was a teacher. If you ask a lot of people that grew up in Camden, uh, a lot of people will. I still happens all the time that Mum taught them swimming. Um, but Mum was uh, firm, very disciplined. She worked multiple jobs to you know, to, to bring us up, but also she was very aspirational. She, she always, she was a bit of a, she allowed us to dream big. There was always, there was never the negative side, which I hear sometimes, which is the, oh yeah, but the, like the negative comments that become the norm for parents, mm. you know, that, 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 that stop progression. Mum was the opposite, you know, be disciplined, uh, have integrity, but dream big. And so mum instilled that and then dad was really interesting so when mum and dad split up they dad just he was on a he was on a path to find himself so every second weekend I'd go to his place and we'd be doing a muscle testing to see what the body worked if you've ever done the muscle testing where they put your hand your body will tell you what nutrients you need or you know what what affirmations you need to do or uh, do past life stuff where you'd lie down and go Regress. through, yep, and go into some past life, some dream state type things, and then so there was a constant weaving of different courses breakthrough, and it was for dad, it was always a constant search, energy healing, and, and chakras, and uh, healing through light, and um, all this different thing. But it was his search for himself. It was a really important moment when I was sort of fourteen, fifteen. He was a dreamer as well, where it was. Once I once I get past this, or once I do that, then then we'll be in a really good spot, and 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 something will happen for us, and all of that. And I gave up on that and stopped looking for that ultimate father figure, and and just I remember thinking, yeah, when I was fifteen, about just allowing him to do his own thing without wanting something from him, because that was important, because he wasn't in a place to give it. He was trying to find himself. Do you get disappointed with that at any stage? No, because that's I had to. I gave. I remember clearly. I did, as a young guy. You know, life will be better when this happens. Once I do this, or once I do this thing, um, life will be better. And then I remember going, "This is, this is not going to happen," but that's okay because that's his story. I let that go, and we had a you know a good relationship until he passed away. He never found that place. You know, he never he never got there because. It was something external that he was looking to kickstart him. There was another course to do. There was another venture to go on. And that sort of taught me some lessons about it's inside all of us. The answer's not external, it's internal. Uh, so I thank him for that as well. What, what, can you explain a little bit more to that? that when you Because you, you saw him chasing something. You saw him hoping that something external was going to solve his problem or, or give him a solution or something or other. Yeah. But you're saying that that doesn't exist. You've got to find it internally. 
It's inside you. The, the exploration. I'm going to put here. an asterisk here that this is my opinion. Yep. Mark. On sure. This. So you know, like, because no, we, we are one about you though. So yeah, yeah. So this is my bits about. So I'll go to that. You know, the self help section in the bookshop. Right. It's full of you could you know the it that it'll be a bookshop of its own soon. Where the way yeah. that we're going with it, right? So that self-help section, bookshop, yeah. yeah, it'll be on it on its own, or it's and which is good. Because we do need guidance. Sometimes they got it. But what all of them are saying to me is that that there's not some course or something that is the answer. The answer is in how I walk my path. And the answers are in me. The the the, the way that I want to live or walk or 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 be or or change, the answers are inside of me. And that I have choice over that. That's the best thing about it is I have choice about how my life looks because it's not designed by someone else it's not guided by some external factor i have to i have to guide it and that answer is in within me and there are some help out there in those in those books or the podcasts or you know the the the, the apps that we look at but in the end it's just it, they're all mirrors looking back on ourselves every book that you read every you know, whether it's a movie that we watch, it's just a mirror for us to reflect ourselves and say, what lessons did I get? Now, how am I going to walk? That's that's my belief. Look at football, the thing that you are yeah. expert in. It's a game of rituals. There's Definitely. Rituals. There's rituals everywhere. Yep. And it's also, it's funny, there is an alignment between sport and spiritualism. You know, it's a, a secular version of spiritualism in that it's full of rituals. It's 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 full of discovering who you are and failing and um, having to learn from it and live with that and get on with it and be honest with yourself and seek forgiveness and you know make sure that you uh, worked within the collective and you know you're doing the right thing in a not a social environment but your environment. Sport is is like a religion in some respects. That's a yeah, it's a good point. So I remember I was backpacking around Spain. And there was a, it seems like a joke, but there was a Spanish guy, an Italian guy, and myself in this room. In uh, I <laughs> think we we're in guy. Portugal or in Spain, and we started talking about it openly. And the Italian guy talked about he didn't know what what was out there as far as you know the the, the, the from a, a spiritual sense, but he loved the ritual of his church. His thing that was important was the community aspect. Mm. And which is what you're talking about in in our, you know, our weekend sport, um, which some people find a religion. Which oh, mate, I, I I find a religion. I turn up at the Sydney Cricket Ground yep. where we're playing at the moment. I see all the same guys. They're all dressed in the same way. We all sit in the same seats, just like you yep. would if you go to church, like I did when I went to church on Sunday yep. with my mum. Um, we all sit in the same seats. We pretty much go through the same prayer process. Some say, and sometimes you'd be uh, probably happy to hear that I am actually praying for our team. <laughs> but like, but it is, it is ritualistic. Yep. It is a religious experience in some respects. I see the high priest, and I, I see them all. They're all there. Well, that's what binds us. That's what the I guess the bit about most indigenous sort of cultures as well have rituals that bind a community. Hmm. So um, that we have it in our team about how we act, how we walk in the door and and how we train and how like all of those those rituals that we go through and then how we interact outside of that. But even turning up to a game is, you know, putting your jersey on in the morning and, you know, turning up and well what you do first and, some of your players have would have rituals too. Definitely there's there's the you know, there's a process of familiar familiarity with creating the same environment because what we want to do is perform our best, create flow, whatever it is. And to do that, you want to repeat a process to put you in that state of mind. Um, and so that's where, yeah, that's that's where that process or those rituals come from. And in, in terms of, if I, you just hit on a, a you just hit on something, you said a word really important to me, and I, I know it's important to you, the word flow. And whenever I um, use the word flow, I, I, I for some reason I think the word energy has got to sit in front of it or behind it somewhere. The word energy has got to be there, and I'm talking in a, in a sense of physics, like um, you know, in a real quantitative sense, in a f- physics quantitative sense, you know, like um, and and nearly quantifiable in that you could probably write write a formula around it. And uh, the energy point is an important point. I know you have strong views on energy, um, and to some extent, I think they're related to spiritualism. I think the two are interlinked. 
you know, um, you know, people talk about your soul, and for me, I just think it's uh, your energy is finally escaping from your body, and that yep. could be your soul. Just that, you know, yeah. whoever was thinking about these things hundreds of thousands of years ago, trying to put put some sense to it, didn't understand the concept of energy as such in a physics sense. But where, where, where I mean, you're a learned guy. You're always reading. You're, a, I know, you're a great thinker. Where do you think energy fits into everything you do now with our football team? So the first thing we do is this is this is an interesting point because you got to how do you introduce to an eighteen year old the idea of energy when you know we've walked for a long time and it's still that thing that that it's hard to grasp, where it's hard to understand. So what you, what we try and do is put it into simple terms about you know people might say how do you feel you know which is one part of it. There's a deeper part to it, but but our first thing is is do you understand your own energy? Can you create your energy that you need how do you stand like how do you stand as a as a player or as a man stand like physically stand physically stand Mm. how much energy does that like what's your presence like and someone like jared gives off an enormous amount of energy yeah so people will say it in different ways but that's what they're saying Mm. you know and so that's understanding how to cultivate that and how to build that like it's not you've got it or you don't There's, there's ways that People sometimes have a head start, but are you working on how you, yeah, your energy? Do you understand yourself? Are you getting stronger? It comes out in your character. How do you stand? Like how, do, how, does, how, do, how does your character come out of you? You can say it in really um, esoterical terms or you can say it in really simple terms. Is that man a strong man when he stands in front of you? Do you understand yourself and can you grow that? Can you cultivate that in yourself? And then what's our collective energy? How do we move together? So the way that we, the best way that we can see it is often some people have talked about it a bit. Gus often says it in commentary where I talk about dancing together. Like there's a, there's a dance that in defense, I love how it lives and breathes. But that's all that is, is guys don't have to talk. Communication is really important. But when your energy is connected in defense, communication verbal communication is really low because you're bound by this movement when someone shifts they already know how to move with them and that whole line the boys know that they know when they've got that and if you can combine everybody's energy to dance together that's when you're a great defensive team so if you're an offensive team then how do you can you break that energy can you break that down it's like if if you see an opposition team doing it do you say okay i can see their energy i can see their flow or the rhythm yep the dance rhythm um, this is what we've got. We've got to knock off this, this, or this, or, or take There's something certain out. Ways that I'll always say. Look, some of our biggest moments in the last decade have been um, when that energy's been combined, and the guys will. They, they, you don't have to be spiritual to understand that. The footy players will go, "Yeah, I know what that's about. I can feel that. I can know what the guy's doing two or three players away because we're all connected. That's what you call team spirit." That's what the old term about what is team yeah, yeah. spirit. You know, that's that's that bond that you create in so many different ways. So when it comes to the hardest moments, that you move together, you play for each other. But then in attack, there's also that that movement. How people that sense of when someone's going to go. That some people have greater intuition than somebody else of how to be there. Tedesco is a good example of of that. His intuition about um, he reads energy quite well in other players as well as himself. And so he knows how to move and get into positions. And he's shown that for, for Tigers, Roosters, and you know, especially New South Wales as well in huge moments. Um, it's funny because I've seen Boy Cordner break down a team by poking his head through. Yep. Like he sort of busts through their wall. I mean, an I mean, invisible wall, but like, and Boyd has been famous for that, just poking his head through and, yep. and sometimes getting the ball away and or, Taking a ball on a short ball, how many tries has Boyd scored off um, um, Pearcey in the old days and then later Cooper Cronk and uh, just by busting through those with those little sneaky passes that the halfbacks used to give to him. Well, you can say it in a, in a really in, – in different ways, but that's, that's the, they're the most beautiful games that we watch yeah. is when both teams are on, when both teams' energy is at their best, when yeah. all 13 players on both teams – are rocking and rolling, they're all dancing together, and then you've got a game. Yeah. Now it comes to – see, this is what we often talk about. A lot of players will talk about 
uh, sorry, a lot of coaches or commentators will talk about when you get a quick play the ball, this is what you can do. Well, we can all play off quick play the balls. What about off a slow one? What about when there's no space? What about when the team's opposition's at their best? Now what's your strategy? That's the best. That's where you start. That's where your strategy starts is, well, give me the, give me the best opposition, the best players and the most combined team. Now let's work on a strategy to break that down, break the energy of that team. That's where the strategy starts. And that's not you though building the strategy with the players because you've got to get the players to understand this, this stuff, this whole, all, whole concept expressly. They must understand this. I mean, you've got to – I mean, you can't, you can't just send them out a plan and say, well, this is how I think we can br- break down no. the, the other opposition's rhythm and energy. I mean, you, you've got to get someone in this. At least you've got to have a half a dozen or a couple of players on the side who can understand what it is you're talking about. Am I well, where it starts is the coaches do the legwork. We do the legwork, but – the finishing touches are always the players. They're the most intelligent. They're the ones that are going to enact it. So they, it has to be in their bones. You can't tell them to do something and then they go out and do it. They, it has to seep through every part of their body for them to, to do it. So what you do is we do the legwork. We have concepts or ideas that we think we, we're going to want to put in place and we think we're going to train them. But then you get your uh, top players and your most instinctive players or your your leaders and go, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Um, do you literally say that? Definitely. At halftime? I mean, sometimes I've seen our team, our, our club come off and they've come back and like a steam train in the second half. Is that the, the conversation? Is that how you would say it? Yeah. Yeah. What do you, because it's always, you, you've got your things that you're seeing, but they're the, they're the ones that feel everything. So a good example of that, like not in a, at halftime, but, we deserve, for, for 18 grand final when Kronk had his shoulder. So what we had to do, we had two plans if Kronk was going to play and if Kronk wasn't going to play. What I had to do with the coaches was devise an attacking plan to play without a halfback. And we are going to play, um, and I had some ideas about who I was going to play in that position and how we are going to play. We decided that our best players, our most instinctive players, were Latrell Mitchell and Joseph Manu on top of Teddy and, and Kiri and that. So how are we going to move them around the field rather than just planting them on the centres? And so we went into that meeting with a with a sort of a blueprint, but then it was over to them to go, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Draw it up with thinking this, and I'm thinking about playing this player. And then they went, no, 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 I reckon we should move. He won't do it. He, keep him in his position. What we should do is uh, put Orbo into that position, and Orbo said, I'll do it. And then we just tweaked a few of the things that we wanted to do and then that was the plan for the week. It wouldn't have worked as well if the players didn't tweak it. I would have possibly uh, would have put a different player into that halfback role than Orbo, but Orbo was the most mature to handle an hour before the game decision on whether Cooper was going to play or not. Yeah, so that you do the legwork, but the players put the finishing touches on it. They're the ones that have to execute. So, But how do you get players, I mean, people trying to do this in business because, you know, business is always about – it's about the team. It's about the players in the team. How do you go about recruiting someone who you think one day will become one of these people that you can ask? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The question of what do you, this is what I'm thinking about, what do you think? And how do you go about recruiting? I mean, you just recruited a well-known young fellow. Like, I mean, do you think to yourself, this guy's going to be someone who's going to come up with these calls or this guy's going to be someone who's going to execute on the day? I mean, how, how do you, what's your process? 
there's two parts to it. I, like we're we're in entertainment, right? So yep. there's two parts to it. We we entertain, but we also represent a community, Roosters uh, supporters who who love watches play, uh, so we, and we represent rugby league. So we've got a, a role to play to offer spectacle. So we want to watch them play. So we've got to buy talent. We've got to buy players that are going to be exciting to watch. Mm. You know that's why we go out and buy a Tedesco. Or why um, you know we've got a Joseph Manu, or you know those sort of players. You you want to buy those those guys, but then on the other side, those players that you can have those conversations with about what should we do, or you want someone that's going to stand next to you in a trench. You know that that feeling of that. You've got to buy character as well, and that's where the test is. How do you marry up the talent and character in your recruitment? And how do you get it right when they're 17 or 16? And so that's that that constant mix between talent and character. Uh, and I feel like over the years we've worked our way into combining the two. And um, you can have sometimes you can have too much character and too much talent. You've got to get the right the right levels. Yeah, we, we, you got to know who you are as well. Like the Roosters, we would recruit differently to Manly or Penrith or Brisbane. You know, subtly. Slightly different because there's DNA in our jersey. We've been around for over 100 years. There were certain ways that have been passed on, whether we know it or not, from the original teams. The Dally Messenger was the original player, the reason rugby league was invented, and he was a rooster. Hmm. And Dally, he was one of the original superstars. So that's in our DNA. So that's we've got to continue to, to, to offer that. So we don't run away from um, the talented player. We go searching for that. But the character that we've also played with has been very strong in our time. So we've got to look for those players that that embody the the East, that that hardworking area. Everyone looks at the, the 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 sparkly, you know, a bit like your life. You know, people see um, Mark Burris now and look up with admiration but they don't see the hard work and the grind and all of that that went towards it, right? But you're, like, the board members are out of our team are exactly like our team. Out the area that we represent is Mark Burris, is Nick Politis. You know, that's, that's what I love about our place. We were, we were the rejects. That's where they went and lived. They went and lived in Paddington. They went and lived in Darlinghurst. They went and lived in Bondi. That, that, that's our area. That, that's what rugby league was built on. No one, everyone moved to the North Shore. That was where the Fertile Lamb was or, or out to Haberfield. They all moved them out there. All the slums, all the migrants came into our area yeah. and that's, and we built it now, and we worked hard for this. We lived through that. Our footy players, our jersey lived through that time. And now we've got the rewards. We represent the Roosters area. We love the area because we fought for it and we've worked hard for it. But we roll up our sleeves and we wear the suit at the end of the day. That's our area. And there's no difference to the players that we want to recruit. That's that's who we look for. Players that are going to shine and they're going to express themselves and play their footy, but they're going to roll up their sleeves for their mate and they're going to work hard. So that's our recruitment. And, and, and in turn, well, that's, that, that's a great answer actually. My, my, the hairs on my neck, I stand up actually, was, I felt really proud of our club for the, when you were telling me that. And I, I guess I... On the flip side of that, as I asked John Kavanagh this question the other day about Conor McGregor, how do you run a club when you've got some players in there who are like, you know, superstars, Teddy, but there's a, there's a whole stack of them in our club, but you've got young guys coming through or you've got your um, your workers, you know, like you, you've got to have the stable workers, the guys who are your warriors, the guys who, you know, just never let you down, just do tackle after tackle after tackle and you know who we're talking about. Yep. How do you... Um, balance the um, dynamics in the organisation. I mean, it, how do you go about that, or or is it not a problem? Maybe the so-called superstars—they're just like normal bikes anyway. Well, I think there's a couple of things that we often say is that no one's better than anybody else. I don't. That that's a philosophy in life. I think is I don't care whether you've got you know lots of money or no money, went to a certain school or not. You're really talented at football or not. Everybody's the same. Everyone's. That's what you believe. But how do you? Well, that's push the, that? the stuff that that we talk to the guys about. That 
you know, teaching them that everyone's on their own path. So we believe in, in two things and we, we, we try and pass this on. It doesn't mean they always believe that. But most of them do. They like the fact that you can walk in the doors and there's not a hierarchy. Mm. If you walk in the doors of the roosters, they don't feel like um, externally, I think they think there is. Mm. But when you walk in the doors, everyone's the same, mm. whether it's Kel at the front desk, Kath upstairs, the new person in membership, the the new player that walks in or the Boyd Cordner at, at, at the top or Jake Friend. There's no, no difference. We're all uh, equal and we treat each other the same. But life is survival of the fittest darwin was right you've got to fight for what you want doesn't mean that anybody's better than anyone else but if you want something out of life you better fight for it and there's no difference in sport for us treat everybody equally but we're going to fight for what we want as a footy team and as a club but they're, they're high intellectual theses i mean those things are i mean so we're talking about young men i mean i never i mean i might know those things now but I didn't know those things when I was 18. I mean, it's particularly given coming out of school yeah. and some of that. Do you actually sit down with them and talk to them about these things or is it they just a matter of them seeing the other senior players acting that way or is it a combination of those things? Well, the most important teachers are the senior players. So yeah. I think every everyone has a code of honour that they, in, in any environment that they walk to. You know, some are better than others, but places that have endured through time have a really strong code. Sometimes it was written down, sometimes it's not. We don't write it down. We expect people to walk it. And the, the, the beauty of our place is I, I feel really strong that a lot of our leaders have walked it for a long period of time and they're still here. So they, they're the ones that pass it on. The senior players, it, people think that a coach is really important. Captains are more important than coaches. Senior players that have delivered and stand next to the young guys, they're the most important. They're the, they're the ones that, that really get the best out of the club. And we've been really lucky since I've been here with, you know, Minnie, you know, Jake, Mitchell Pierce, Boyd Cordner, those sort of guys. And then we've got forming the, the Kiris and the Tedescos. I feel like they're becoming great leaders because they, they walk 24 seven in a certain way. And they're trying to, head towards being great players and great person at the same time. So trying to do that. So the players are the best teachers. But then when I first started, all you're doing is coaching attack and defence and you're trying to do that well and you, you don't, you're a bit scared to open up what you think or things that you think have helped you as a young guy to, to players because rugby league culture is not that place. It's, you know, keep that softer side to yourself this is a man's game so you know and so it took a couple of years to start I feel like we tried to to teach them in the right way but we're doing a lot more now that yeah we openly have sessions with that are not about footy with once a week we'd have sessions that are not to do with footy Can at you give all an example yeah so you know it's one of the if everybody in their life read the poem if by Rudyard Kipling that would be Everybody should read that poem. You know, it's an amazing piece to read uh, and, and it's got so many lessons in all of that. But you wouldn't think that a footy team's going to read a poem. But the boys will sit there and then they'll, okay, pick out the first verse. What do you love out of the first verse? What do you love out of the second? What does that mean to you? Yeah, and that, you know, just even them when they talk about the unforgiving minute. If you ask Jake Friend... I remember him vividly talking about what the unforgiving minute meant for him. That's a whole life lesson just in listening to that. If we understood what an unforgiving minute is, that that's you know how to run into life, not not walk through it. That's a that's a really important lesson. So we, that those I really enjoy that, but I felt more open to do that because the players are we're just closer. They'll think that I'm sometimes gone too far or but they'll allow me to open them up to something they don't have to learn anything it's more offering something without judgment here's some bit here's a podcast listen to this podcast on basketball or listen to we'll read a book you know and go through the book and go okay a man's search for meaning if anybody's going to read a book mm. of Viktor Frankl so the boys will read the book we'll sort of go and buy you know, 45-odd books and 
hand it out and get them to read it. And Victor Frankl's whole thing was about your purpose and why you why yep. why the whole why as opposed to yep. what or or how, but it's always about why. Yep. And uh, you know Jack Gibson, you knew Jack, but um, I was around Jack from for a long time there, quite close to him. And Jack was a big actually at Christmas time. Jack used to give all his friends a book, and right. um, he'd go and choose the book at a secondhand bookstore. And yeah. um, on a couple of occasions, that he gave me a, a book for Christmas. And uh, the books he gave me were very thoughtful. And actually, I went and read the books that he gave me. And th- what you're doing is sort of a, it's to me, it sounds like a modern version of what the great so called supercoach Jack Gibson did mm. is bringing thoughtfulness into the environment, thinking about things other than footy. And uh, thoughtfulness is, I, I think, teaching players or people or young men to be thoughtful as opposed to just skilling them up is yeah, a great is- thing. Because this is a hard part is because you, in the end, you're just a footy coach, right? you just got to go out there and coach or, footy. There is in the end because you're also playing, we want to be brutal in the way that we play. We mm. don't want to play soft. Mm. This is not, there was a, there was a great story about a, uh, one of the warriors from Troy, right, when he was fighting the Greeks uh, and they lost. Um, but his thing was how could he spill blood in the morning and carry a baby, carry his baby in the afternoon? And that's that's a snapshot of what life should look like for a footy player as well. Like how do you spill blood on on the weekend? Because that's what they're there for. We're there for entertainment. People want to watch that. They want to see the traits that they aspire to have or that they do have, but they want to see character on a footy field. They want to see talent, but they also – they want to watch a guy that – that's why Boyd Cordner is revered. It's because he he played with the character that a lot of us would love to have in us and he he showed that every single weekend. Jake Friend's the same. But then how do you carry your baby in the afternoon? How do you walk off that field and be a good man, be a good partner, a, you know, a good father, a good – you know, that that that's what life should be like. And so trying to mix those two together is really key. And so do you think, I mean, is that what you think your job description is though, is to guide them or, or influence them? Which one do you want to do? Guide. I think influence for me probably means there's a second motive out of what I'm trying to do there. I'm trying to get an end result because this has taken a bit of thought in, like and my job's to win footy games. I'm really clear that my job at the Roosters is to win footy games and win premierships. That's really clear. Do it in, do it in uh, the right way, but we, that, that's my job. The bloke in a bar, you know, the, the, the Instagram, he actually put up a, um, a, a um, post today. It says, at the Roosters, we're here to win premierships. Yeah. That, that was actually put up today, funnily enough, right. that you should say that, yeah. And we are. You can say, oh, no, my job's to form really good people and if we win – no, 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 we want to win. Like let's not – we're not here to, to, to make up the numbers or to be a really nice club. We want to win premierships and we're going to go after that. But we're also going to do it in a way where we're progressing the person as well. We want, we want to have great men. We want to do it with integrity and we want to be absolutely brutal and, and beautiful when we go out to play. So how are we going to do all that? Okay, now start trying to There's a plan, the, plan the season. That's, that's, you start with that. It's a second thought now. It's not even a – you don't have to think about that. That is very clear in, in, our, in our ethos at the Roosters. And then we go about trying to set, set all that up. You know, and there's lots of people that are involved in that. Well, you've got a great team. I mean, like, and it's taken time to build that team. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't mean a football team, a team of – yeah. management team, the team that look after the players and the coaching, the, your staffing squad, yeah. let's call it that. And what's interesting about that squad too is when I was just thinking about it as you were talking to me earlier on, they're all pretty much similar sort of people in terms of the way they think. Mm. They're, they're broader thinkers and just ready to the footy, let's get into it, you know, tackle and you know, like Fitzy. Fitzy's got a good head on him and he's he's got a good brain, he thinks broad. You know, he's got a lot of experiences in life too. Yeah. And uh, same as Matty King, for example. Yeah. They're, they're good people as well as being tough mothers on the field and yeah. like relentless players. Well, that's, I mean, it's easy for me as a guy that didn't play and didn't make it to come up with these things. And But when a guy like Fitzy 
the way that he played and and he was you know he was what he was a man's man that's what yeah he was a boyd corner style player yeah he was you know freddie will openly talk about that you know freddie got to do what he wanted to do because fitz would do all the other stuff yeah and he was the ultimate right hand man and and but then he's also he's open to all this stuff he's he's like we all are we're all on our own search but he knows it's our role to 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 offer up different thoughts and experiences to these guys and so fitzy's been you know the ultimate guy for me if i go back to when you know you were a young man a young young fellow at school and you know you saw your dad trying all these different things one of the things i know about you um not intimately but i know this about you is that you're always open to exploring different ideas. I mean, I often send you notes and say, mate, I've read this or it's all this about mathematics of soccer fields. And, yep. and uh, generally speaking, it's rare that you ever say, oh, no, I've never heard of that. You've already probably heard of it. But you're always exploring these things. Is that, is that an influence your dad has put to you or brought to you from those days today? And that you, is, and does that drive you to chase your mm. own things of interest, your own curiosities? Because it seems to me, you're going to influence the players that way too because the players are going to see their coach looking at all these different curiosities and may well be that they're going yeah. to have those influences on them too when they get older. Yeah, because that's a, an interesting one. How do you – there are no limitations on what you can research and get into. Like be curious. Yeah. Go and find some stuff out that you don't know. And, yeah, totally. You know, you know, learn some bits. And, but that – you know, so how do you be consistent? How do you be consistent in your character and disciplined, but be constantly moving? That sounds like a comp to me. That sounds like a combination of your mum and your dad. Yeah, that's yeah it what, is. That's what I'm thinking to myself. It. It's like you've like you've distilled the. You describe your mother and your father. Looks like you've distilled the, the the two best things out of them, and put it to work in your own life. That's what I mean. That's my gut feeling. That's how it feels. Yeah, you sp- I think I said you, you spend so many times trying to not be certain things but there's some amazing things that they opened up to me that yeah that i has created interest and then there comes the there comes the question is how do you like you just can't like how do you keep it simple for the players that that, they're immature for a start yeah they're they're on they're young like if if someone if i talk to my well I, i guess i was talking to myself in a certain way there but my job is to go out. I'm trying to earn for my family and go out and play well on the weekend so mm. I can set up my life. Yeah. I don't need to be complicated with stuff that the journey that a 43-year-old's on, you know? And so that's that balance between how do you how do you offer them different experiences but allow them to be simple in their mindset. And how do you think they do you think they get it? I mean, do they you get feedback from them? Do they give you yeah. feedback or are you just things you observe? Yeah, definitely. I get I, like I, I'll have guys like I'll talk to Fitzy about hey you need to let me know when I'm when I'm gone too far like if I am, am I you know am I going too far out there and and then there's players that like Boyd's one that I would constantly get feedback from Jake Mitch Orbo was a really good one for me now Luke Keery and Tedesco are really important they're growing into that I go to them often for stuff Victor Radley will tell me what's He's thinking, even if I don't ask him. So they're the ones that, like, you'll often see it. And then my job's to look into their eyes and see what they're thinking as well. And sometimes I go, oh, yeah, they're not here with me where I, I need to pull back from this or, you know. I'll give you some feedback because I, I bumped into uh, Rads and um, Teddy the other day, last weekend, and uh, they both said to me they quite enjoyed the whole spiritual discussion, the, 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 the Tai Chi. Yep, that that discussion around um, your energy and also harnessing it or understanding it, then harnessing it and, yep. and managing it. So in, you might you might have thought that they thought you'd be crazy, but th- th- those two at least have said that they thought it was pretty cool. Well, that's they didn't quite understand it. They said, but no, that, yeah, that's the. But that's a good thing to admit. Well, how do you how do you go to your edges? How do you push into the edges of the corners where the dark areas are? Without of, getting too frightened. Yeah, yeah without it can get scary down there. You know, without ruining the footy. Mm. You know, like in the end, um, like th- this is the thing. Again, at the end of every week, you've got to simply go out and perform. Don't cloud the mind with lots of thought. Go out and deliver and play a great brand of footy. 
so that that's that's constantly the balance but I guess I felt more comfortable over the years to go there um, with them and they also we trust each other now like we're really close like it's hard to say that that you think that you coach player relationship but in the end we're in the one one family and you got to lean on each other and and this is not this coach telling them what to do I lean on them a lot they give me so much feedback that it allows me to, to to coach them better and yeah, but I need them. Well, does that does that take away from you the ability, like trusting each other? That's that's an important thing. But does that take away from you sometimes the ability where you need to provide theatre at half time because they're just playing like shit and they just need to get a good kick up the ass? Does I mean, or or is that somewhere you never go? You just don't go down that territory. No, I do. You have to be brutally honest with them, because that's. But in a, can you can you be brutally honest? Yes, but because people do some business all the time. Br- brutally honest in a in a t- with a bit of theatre though. I'm I'm talking about mm. what the fuck are you doing? You know, like you guys, blah blah blah. No, that's not. Does that's that ever, not that's not that's me. Not you. That's not being all like that's not that's not the real me. So I'm not gonna um, put that on. I'll put theatre on when I'm passionate about something. And that, that if I want to, like pre-game, before game, the day before, is is where I feel like you set that that stuff up. The the days leading up to it, so I'll be, yeah, use the tone and um, the the energy in a room a lot to get that going. But I won't do something if it's not going to work. Like I won't at halftime. I'm not going to do something that if I need, I, I will get into a player if I know that it's going to pull their strings. But I've also, I've stuffed up at different times where I've tried to create that and it wasn't right for that player. It's because my emotion was I wanted to do it, but they weren't going to hear it in the right way. Yeah, yeah. And they um, can actually work the other way. They can go against you. But there are some times where you go, there is nothing technical here. I'm going to need to create the energy for the second half. So you need to get, it's not, but that's real. That's the real part. I won't try and make something up and yell at them, but I'll try and create a positivity through clicking them into some because they need to get out of the space that they're in. I need to give them a talk or or inspire them in some way to to click back into how we want them to play or to get out of their own minds mostly. If you're in half time and they're not playing well, it's because they're thinking too much. You know, they're, they're usually overthinking how they're playing. You need to get them out of that. I'm just thinking as you were talking to me there. I remember last beginning of last year, pre-COVID, of course, um, you had a big theme about our history and Australian history, and you took our team yeah. to various places overseas to sort of reiterate the history of Australians, and uh, and it was a sort of a theme that you were running with. That yeah. was last year, wasn't it? I'm not yep. getting confused with you before. Yes, that was uh, that was our theme for nineteen. Nineteen, right? Yep. And then twenty, you had a theme. Yep. Beginning of twenty, what was the twenty theme? Pre-COVID, of course. Yeah, we have a club theme and a and a team theme, and the club was around Sydney and the Opera House. That was a that was a that was a club theme of just about, you know, dream the impossible was you know that was it's in their DNA. That was the the Opera House theme, um. So that was very much about creating something that was impossible when someone started because we were chasing three, you know that was that was what we what we wanted, but. Um, the team theme was around Barcelona. That's why we went to Barcelona yeah. and the way that they played, and especially 2008 to 2012, the Pep Guardiola years, when Messi and Xavi and all those players were there. Um, so we drew a lot on there. They accelerated the game of football through the way that they played. And what about 21? What are we doing for a theme this year? Is it yeah. A, you allowed to talk about it? No. You don't want to talk about it? Fair enough. No, well, the, the, oh, no, no, it's okay. The, re- it's the reason... Cause no, fuck them. We're not going to tell anybody. No, because no, 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 I agree with you. No, I'm on your side. So, so and you just mentioned someone really important to me, and I, I, I did want to raise him. Um, you said Messi. You talk about Messi, and uh, the, the soccer player, the, the football player, and um, and of course, you know, you got teams like everybody wants to play for Barcelona or, or you know or Real Madrid or one of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're in the English league or whatever. That's that's there's a yeah. a magic there, right? Um, and uh, and I am a. I don't follow soccer so much, but I do during World Cups and et cetera, and Messi being one of the most famous of all time. We, we were talking earlier on about players that we've known 
and um, who have seen have all the time in the world on the football field. Mm. You know, Joey, Freddie, you know, uh, there's a stack of them anyway. Yep. And uh, Cooper Cronkway seems like he had a lot of time, more time than anybody else. So uh, Cameron Smith does. And we were talking about um, this process of observing and participation and uh, just maintaining your position. And I mean, I, I'd like you to explain what your views on why those great players tend to have more time than everybody else. Why is it we, because we always say, oh, is everyone's hanging off him. They're not going to tackle him. He's got funnel webs on him. That's all yep. that bullshit stuff that people talk about. But what is it do you think in terms of the way those individuals are? Well, that's, that Cooper is a great example. It goes back to my point. Remember I said that players are the most important or your captains are your most important. We, we can be as good as what we want. We can have an amazing year. And I can have my best coaching year and not win. But you can get like bringing in a leader like Cooper was it changed the way that the last few years have been and the way that we've we feel like we were right there, but we needed a captain. You know, like I'm not talking about a, a the Boyd Cordner or the Jake Friend, but we needed a captain. Like a on game the manager. Field. Yeah. A manager on the field. And that's that's shows the importance, you know, and people can talk about you know, how important a coach is or whatever. But the guys on the field, those leaders on the field, they're, they're the ones, you know, the ones that you talked about, your Freddie and your Joey and your Alfie Langers and Cooper Cronks. And Cooper, we all know he didn't have the talent. This is where people find it hard to put Cooper into a, but he wasn't pretty. I didn't, you know, that talent and character mm. one that I talked about. People didn't look at Cooper and see talent. He wasn't pretty mm. to watch, you know, he didn't, he didn't run beautifully and he didn't, you know, he didn't have this beautiful pass that cut out three guys and hit the winger and he just wasn't. So people couldn't put him in this box of legendary, but they couldn't understand that that his character on the football field was second to none. Mm. The way that he acted when, when it did not matter, if he, we would sit in a video room and he would say, this is how I would play at this moment. Or he would say, this is how I'm going to start the game. And then at the end of the game, this is how we want to run at home. And then he'd get into it. He'd make 20 tackles. His heart rate would be at 180. And he'd make the decision he decided when his heart rate was at 60. Now, talk about sport, but talk about business. Talk about the pressure of you know, you're about to lose your house and you've got to make a business decision. Well, Cooper Cronk in those situations would make the same decision as if he was in a vacuum and, 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 and it was the simplest decision he had to make. He constantly made those decisions, I think, more than any other player in the game. And Cameron Smith, I would put in that category as well. Cameron and Cooper were incredible at being able to make the decisions, whether sitting in a video room or at 180 beats per minute. And that was legendary. And, I, and then people in business, there's a lot to be learned by people in business out of that. And that's a process of being able to step back away from what you're doing, get out of the wrestle, stop wrestling in the mud, step back sort of within yourself in a funny sort of way. You've got to step yeah. back and actually have a look, what have I got to do here now? And take a breath. Yeah. Actually about breathing, which is some of the things Definitely. that you do. Breathing, I don't mean that as well as actually let your brain breathe for a second and just think about You've got plenty of time. Think about what it is you've got to do. And that, that, that occurs in business all the time. Too many of us actually make quick snap decisions. You know, this business, a fast decision is a good decision. I don't believe that. I think a well-thought-out decision is better. Not overthinking it, don't get me wrong, but thinking it clearly. You've got to be clear in your thinking as opposed to just rushing into it. And, well, there's um, the simple thing about what Rads and Teddy were talking about. They're going, they're liking it. Hmm. But all we're doing is that space where you can step back observe yourself it's like that's why that's why we do that when we talk about it because often you it's like you're stepping behind yourself observing yourself yeah. and then everything else around you and that's your ability to step back observe and then go and act yeah it's, it's it's quite powerful and that's why these guys are so bloody good yeah i mean it's funny your wrestling coach i've been doing a bit of wrestling with lately larry papadopoulos he's always talking to me about creating space yeah you know, when someone's getting on top of you and, and creating space is about having the ability to have a look what you've got to do. Yeah. You can't do it if you're, you're all over them and they're all over you. You've got to sort of create some space and uh, it's, it's funny yeah. that, that. Whilst you're 
about to get choked. Or, get choked. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> if he, but if you can get some space, yeah. you've got a chance. Yep. If you've got no space, you've got no chance. Yep. So you always, he said at the end of the day, it's better to be five metres away from someone and run. Yep. You know, like that's your best chance. That's your best space. Yep. You know, the more space you get, the better. Yeah. And it's quite interesting for someone like him who's uh, – you know, a wrestling champion or a, a fighting champion for that matter. And um, and these guys that you're talking about, like the Cooper Cronks and that, they have this ability to create some space in their brain, intellectually. Yeah. They build space. I learned so much watching Cooper and then Luke here and I talked only about it yesterday, just about the lessons we learned from Cooper and then how do we move forward even with himself and the other halves. And Luke, you know, he's ready for all that as well. But that's, you know, what they, they're our best teachers. You know, it, get, it keeps going back to the senior players are the best teachers. They're the ones that, 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 that show you how, to, how it's done. And Cooper, uh, um, yeah, it's hard to explain how special his, his decision-making talent was. People sort of saw the result, but they, they were looking for a physical talent that he didn't yeah. have. But he had another talent. But the decision making one is that's a that's an important yep. talent in making up your team. Yep. Right, well, this has been fantastic. Time is up. Um, um and I really enjoy this. Um yeah. Um, it's been maybe great. maybe, you know, some other time next year or something like that, let's sit and have another crack at it and see what we what, what we've both learned and found out, yeah. what we've both experienced in the last twelve months. Um I I really enjoy this. I hope our, our uh, listeners have enjoyed this. I've got two listeners sitting up there behind the cameras. <laughs> that, that, you've had them captured. They haven't moved. Really enjoyed it. 